But the main thing that changed was inside of me, I said, yes, I'm going to be successful. Yes, I have something to say. Yes, I deserve to write a book. Yes, I deserve to be out of debt. And I couldn't do that by myself. I employed others and other techniques to find that clarity. And then once I got my internal engine moving, then the outer reality, I magnetized all the success. Welcome to episode 33 of the Coaching Life Podcast, where we peel back the bull crap and brush away any photoshopping to give you an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. I've seen today's guest around on Facebook for quite a while, and I think we've even been at the same coaching event together, but never really mm -hmm. connected. Yeah. But his last Facebook post of 2017 really did catch my eye. And I'm going to read some of that to you. Okay. He said, Joyously closing my laptop on the last business day for 2017. I remember the man who walked into this office on January the 2nd. He was burdened by debt, anxious with energy, enthusiastic but unfocused and ready, very ready to take on the world. One year can change a life. This one did for me. And then he gives a list. Married. Successful business. Step Robbie Bobby. Debt free. Book outline and research completed. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> Lost 25 pounds. Living in a dream house. Having credible clients. Skills increased. Found my stride. And my favorite part. Happy. Oh yes. Happy. Deeply happy. And he goes on to say. My thesis has proven correct. Having love and relationship as my top priority for the first time in my life has led to a most incredible life. And it was that, that last piece that I most resonated with because these two are also at the center of my own work. So I wanted to know more because that does indeed sound like an incredible year. So here to share his story with us is Robert Candle. Hello, Robert. Welcome. Hi, Bill. Pleasure to be here. Uh, thanks for coming along. Thanks for coming along. So let's start a little further back than the story. Can you tell us how you got into the profession of coaching, perhaps up to that point of that January the 2nd last year? Well, the, I never expected to be a life coach. I never expected to be a teacher, an educator. This, you know, you go to your high school, graduate, you know, um, counselor, and just basically say, you know, this was not the direction I expected my life to take. But the main step that happened for me to leave here was in 1999, March 20th, 1999. I made a total fool of myself at the first workshop I attended. And, I mean, really just, you know, one of those moments in your life you're just like, oh, my God, this is like the hardest, most painful moments. But that ignited inside of me this desire to learn, this desire to discover who I was. And then in that, it led to a step-by-step -step progression of unfolding who I was, um, taking workshops, uh, going deep into communities, eventually meeting my business partner, Nicole Daydone, in 1999, starting an organization called One Taste uh, in 2004, 
and then just being thrust into the position of lead coach, teacher, running a men's program, it just was a moment of necessity. Did that for 10 years and then left One Taste in 2014 to build my own practice. So what what was life like for you, um, you know, pre- even outside of your business? Because there's, a, there's a, a lot in that little list there that's, that clearly is, is personal to you as well. What, what was What was life like for you? What you're working for one taste and and also yeah what happened in that intervening period between 2014 and um coming up to january the second last year uh so many things one taste was an epic epic adventure you, you know they say like dog's life is seven years for every normal human year i always thought one taste was like nine nine years wow. so i did it for 10 years because it was really a 24 7 experience in building the community, living inside of the community, interacting with all my you know community and staff, very intimate, romantic, and sexual relationships. So it was an epic ten years that was felt like ninety at times, and it was the best moments of my life, moments of epic joy and, and enjoyment, and some of the worst moments of my life. And it just was all encompassing. And what happened a year before I left was I just decided that this isn't the way I wanted to spend the rest of my life. I wanted to be free. I wanted to have choice. I wanted to date who I wanted to date. I wanted to travel. I wanted to take a nap. There was like, there were, I wanted it just a more control of who I was and who I wanted to be. So I left in July 2014 and uh, was free for seven months. And this is interesting because what happened that seven months is I did not know how to live free. I did not know how to just not be stressed and not be worried and not to be in a world where my energy was constantly in demand. So uh, seven or eight months after leaving One Taste in March of 19, uh, sorry, March of 2015, I started a business in Hollywood called L.A. Mother, which was an event space. And L.A. Mother, where One Taste was an epic um, success, L.A. Mother was an epic failure. (laughs) It's just the business totally blew up. And the reason I did it was because I I didn't know how to live free. And so a lot of the debt I cleared up in 2017 was the debt from L.A. Mother from this inability for me to just have space and time and mental clarity. Hmm. So can you you expand a little bit perhaps then on... Um, how how would you describe now that guy? I mean, we've gone through a little bit in the list, but how would how would you describe that guy? As you said, he walked into that into that room, into your office on January the second. About two weeks prior to that, I was in New York City with uh, my wife to be and my stepkids to be and her mom and her sister, and they went to uh, ice skating. And like, do you want to go to ice skating? I'm like, nah, I don't really want to go ice skating. And so I had a little time to myself. And this was like the fourth or fifth day of vacation. And I sat down my laptop and I built myself a one-year forecast for 2017. And in that, I wrote all the debt I had from LA Mother and all the money I planned to make and my payout from One Taste and how much I was making for my coaching business. And I set myself with this really huge goal. And I said to myself, I want to be debt-free by the end of 2017. So I built myself a map. Now, I'm I'm a financial guy. 
you know, I'm a COO, a CFO, like numbers are really my, my, my jam. But I wanted to take all these thoughts, this desire into my head and put it into a spreadsheet. By doing that, I set myself up to succeed because I made myself a game that was bigger than I thought I could do. I paid off what some people would do in three years in one year just because I knew for my soul, for my energetics, it was really important for me to be debt free. And I did it. You know, I didn't have the savings, I didn't hit the saving goals I wanted in terms of also paying the debt, but I paid off that debt. But I created a roadmap for me as a game to succeed. And that was a really huge part of 2017 because I knew what I wanted to do. I love that. And it's something I hear all the time. And I know I've, I've done it. I've like created like pictures and I've gone through visioning exercises and whatever you to imagine the kind of life that I would like. Um, and, and, and I know sometimes that's worked out and I've been committed to it. Um, other times not so. And also there are sometimes I notice things in the mix that I've, I, I've known I've wanted, but not really been attached to, and they've still showed up. So, um, <laughs> I was guessing we could probably, you could probably answer the whole question of, of this podcast really here, but I'm, but I'm, I'm curious what, what perhaps made the year such a success? Can we open up that, you know, open up that can? What, okay. What? I'm going to give you an answer you're probably not expecting. Uh, therapy, um, deep internal work, uh, some mystic therapy, talking to my wife. In other words, moving from, I'm going to do this all by myself, to I'm going to open myself up to find out the parts inside of myself where I have the foot on the brake. Like one of the main things was in terms of writing this book was I did the internal work to find out that I love to live in other people's shadows. I love to be number two. Like I was in my dad's shadow when I was growing up. Uh, my business partner, Nicole Daydon, called herself the founder, not a co-founder, and I let that happen. I let her be the big star while I was the man behind the curtain pulling all the levers to make everything work. Uh, this business LA mother, I let the woman Franny kind of be the front and the face and be interviewed by the Huffington Post and the LA Times, and, and I didn't demand it. And then there was this moment in t early 2017 where I was just like, no, it's time for me to come out from the shadow and going to therapy and find out the reasons that I didn't. And so I have vast amount of energy and I have vast skills. I'm not trying to deny this, but the main thing that changed was inside of me. I said, yes, I'm going to be successful. Yes. I have something to say. Yes. I deserve to write a book. Yes. I deserve to be out of debt. And I couldn't do that by myself. I employed others and other techniques to find that clarity. And then once I got my internal engine moving, then the outer reality, I magnetized all the success. So what does the outer reality look like um, sort of before and after? Like what kind of clients are you working with? Perhaps if you're willing to share the kind of fees and what have you, like can you share with us like really the before and, 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 and after of what that outside world looked like? What did your business yeah. look like and how did that 
change. Well, yeah, that's an important point. So before I did the work, uh, at one taste, I would say I did 99 good things and one bad thing <laughs> times 1,000. You know, over 10 years, I would say my good to bad ratio, let's call it 90 good to 10 bad. That's actually more appropriate. <clears throat> there are things I did that I'm not proud of. There are things that was inappropriate. There are things where I took advantage of a situation. I mean, thank God, never to the point of uh, uh, Me Too or Harvey or Aziz. Like, I'm really grateful that some internal part of me did never cross those boundaries, but I didn't take care of people the way I wanted to take care of. And so what happened was until 2017, until I started doing this really heavy work, I was diminishing myself as some sort of penance for all the things I'd done wrong with one taste which meant I didn't charge the rates I was worth. I gave a lot of pro bono. I was soft. And I do believe it's good to give away, but to the point of my detriment, where I was really minimizing my own value and my own worth. So I had to really come to that realization that I was, I was charging 150, 175 bucks an hour for coaching, doing packages. And that's not bad for someone who's starting. And, you know, or someone actually, that's actually, in, in my opinion, that's a, that's a novice coach. There's the beginning coach and a novice coach. That's a good rate for a novice coach. A lot of people rush to that when they begin. I think that's improper. But for me, with 15, 17, 18 years experience, it was a way, it was a self-punishment. That was the first thing. The second thing was that I just, I could do anything because I have two sides. I have a business consulting side and a life coaching side. And I was like, any, I would take anyone who would come for any reason. And it sort of diluted my focus. So then the two main things was I found the appropriate rate for me. And I don't really believe in the six-month packages that a lot of coaches do. I don't really believe in that methodology. I sometimes can work with someone for a month and get through it. So I don't want to have to sign them up for a six-month package. And so I found the rate that was good for me, 215 hour for life coaching, 300 and up for business consulting, depending on the gig. And I found the rate that actually felt good. And so from that, I started to build uh, recurring monthly packages. And the last thing I'll say is I realized that my business consulting was 7x the revenue of my life coaching. So instead of saying, I'll take anyone, I said, okay, I want to make $20,000 a month on business consulting and whatever comes via life coaching, that's great. I'm not going to say no, but I set my focus on getting four or five steady monthly interim CFO business consulting like clients. And then in the year of 2017, I went to that where now I started off January 1, 2018 with four steady clients. So I've made more in the first January of 2018. I've made the same amount in the first quarter of 2017. That's yeah. That's quite a change. Quite a change. Yeah. What's perhaps the biggest thing you've learned really from that um, from that transition, both out of of out of one taste and and through through that interim period to now what's that what's that one biggest thing that you've learned about yourself 
Yeah. The biggest thing is, is I create my own reality. And I've really discovered, you know, this is thing like take 100% responsibility, blah. And people, you know, some people like it and other people like, nah, don't believe it. But I really see the power of I spent so much time and energy blaming others for my reality. And I got this vision that if I take 100% responsibility for my actions, for my thoughts, for my reality, it doesn't relieve the other person of their responsibility. It's not like a jar where I take 62 and they take 38. I take 100, they take 100. And once I did that, I was able to stop looking externally for the reason and I could start to look internally and I could say, oh, in that relationship, I kowtow to them, I bow down, I subbed, I minimized myself. Why did I do that? Oh, because I didn't want to take responsibility or I didn't believe I was strong enough. Or, and so I got to look at the fine nuances. And once I was able to find the fine nuances of my motivation, then I could start to take more responsibility. And then from that spot, I was able to create so much more. And I'd really love for you, if you can, make that real for us. Like, how has that manifested, that, that kind of change in you? What, what you know, if, I, if we were watching perhaps at how you were creating clients or business partnerships, how, how has that manifested? What, 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 what would look different to me? The main thing is, is I got out of business partnerships. <laughs> I stopped looking for business partners. Because I left, I mean, you have to understand, I, was, I left One Taste in 2014. One Taste was run by community. I didn't do anything by myself. I mean, I went to the bathroom by myself, but that was about it. Everything was done in some kind of strange, weird, communal fashion. And there was power in that because my expertise could meet, their expertise could meet. And then all of a sudden we had this cadre of shared opinions and so when I left One Taste, I immediately started looking for partnerships, people to teach workshops with, you know, some of our friends I've taught, uh, you know, several workshops with. And I hated every single one of them. I hated the whole experience. It wasn't the material. It wasn't the students. They were awesome. It was because I was so done of being in partnership. And then I built this business with a woman and this guy and again, I put myself back in that prison. But it's not partnerships that are bad. Strategic partnerships are awesome. It was the reason. The reason was I did not believe in myself that I could do it by myself. I had some block inside of me that thought I couldn't just do it by myself. Just old Rob Candell, just me. And then once I saw the, the effect, once I saw the impact, of minimizing myself, diluting myself to be successful, then I was like, screw that. And then 2017, there's been no partnerships. So it's one definitive thing. So I'm not saying don't get into partnership. I'm saying look at your motivations. Look at the reasons. And more often than not, if your reasons aren't pristine, the partnerships are not going to work out for your benefit. Mm -hmm. So in, in those partnerships, um I, I guess i'm curious about um what role you might have played 
in perhaps client creation in business coming in um and then you know how that's changed when you're on your own you you're you are the one responsible for creating all of your business all of your clients um so how how what was the impact of that in the past i was never really the sales and marketing guy my mastery still is but my mastery is in finance operational legal logistical i was the guy so like in one taste nicole had the vision and she would be like, move from point A, move the box from point A to point B, and I would, you know, marshal the forces to move the box. I was the guy to get shit done, basically. So that was in the past. And then when I was in by myself, uh, trying to get clients, I noticed there was sort of a backpedaled, soft, okay, I'm here if you want me, kind of thing. <laughs> I'm here, you know, like it was, it was back. And I depended on others to help me get the business, especially in terms of the partnerships. Like they would be the salesperson. I would figure out how to split up the money when we made the money. So then I just got that I could lean into client acquisition. Client acquisition is hard. It's like, it's hard. Anyone says you can just start a coaching practice and make $100,000 a year, 100,000 pounds a year, is lying. It's not like that. It is a long, steady road uh, paved with many horrible mistakes, being inventive, you know, not getting the clients you truly wanted, getting clients that you hate and you want to get out of the contract <laughs> as soon as possible. It's like it's the it's a spectrum. And so the main thing that I changed was I just changed my belief that I was a salesperson. And I started pitching packages that were slightly out of my comfort zone because of my diminishment of my value, slightly out of my comfort zone, but inside my integrity and belief system, and then I let it go. Because I had this belief that if this didn't work out, something else was going to work out. If you're trying to sell to pay your rent, you're in trouble because you're desperate. So before you put everything on your life coaching practice, it's good to have some runway. It's good to have another job. You know, work a 25 hour per week part-time job so your rent and your food is taken care of if you want to build. Plan a year out when you want to transition from your corporate job into your your solo life coaching. Have a plan and have space because you're selling just to pay the rent, you're you're already in trouble. So how, how are clients coming to you now? Well Where are they it's, coming from? It's well <laughs> I have uh, the most interesting diverse clientele. I have four steady clients that pay three to six grand a month for my business consulting practice. I have um, I work for a software company that helps lawyers in Boulder. It's actually where I am right now. Uh, so we help lawyers like being lawyers. I have a guy named uh, Andrew Bartis. He's the galactic historian. Um, okay, so wait. So let me tell you how I got him. So the first one, the law, I was at a conference. I went to a conference in Boulder where I got to teach a slot. So I had to pay my own way. I had to pay my own food. They basically just gave me free entry. 
But there was something inside of me that said, go. You miss teaching. You miss lecturing. You'll get some video out of it. Just go. And then at that conference, I met a friend of mine from, a, from One Taste, from a previous iteration. After talking, not talking to get a job, just talking to catch up, she says, I need you to be on my exec team. I need your balance. And that was October of 2016. So I worked with them for over 14 months at this point. So my point is, I call it pulling threads. You have to be willing to try nuanced things just to, you never know where those opportunities are going to come. So me saying yes to the conference, me having dinner with her, me just listening and talking to her without an agenda led to my highest paying clients in my history. Okay. The second one uh, Andrew Bard is a galactic historian. He reads cautious records. He does private sessions. He's totally woo-woo. He's an awesome guy. And he was a referral. Um, another client uh, is, a, is a woman who runs power, a school for power dynamics for women in New York City. She's awesome. Uh, that was someone I knew from the past. And again, they, just, they, they saw a Facebook post. Hmm. And the Facebook post was a vulnerable Facebook post. And I'm like, huh, let's talk to them. And my fourth one um, was through One Taste. She just, um, she just heard about me through One Taste and thought I was interesting. So it's, what I'm saying is it's random. Um, I do a podcast. I've done a podcast every week for the last two years. And I've gotten uh, life coaching and energy. And it wakes people up. And I think podcasting is a pretty amazing thing. Public speaking has been an amazing thing. So it's not that I'm doing anything that different. The point is I'm open to opportunity. I'm willing to get off my ass, out of my bed, out of my comfort zone to create possibility. Love that. <laughs> Love that. So tucked away in that list, you say you lost 25 pounds. I'm wondering how did that come about? Was that a specific goal with uh, conscious effort? How, how did it happen? <laughs> Another fun story. So I've had a weight challenge my entire life. I was an overweight kid. I've In my adulthood, my weight's fluctuated 20 or 30 pounds, depending on what's happening. And over the last two or three years, I've just been gaining weight as part of a natural thing. And I looked at myself and I was, I was just overweight. I was 240 pounds, 245 pounds. Didn't look bad. It just didn't look good. So then I was doing a talk at a music festival, Lightning in the Bottle, um, which is a one-year festival. And I'm like, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going I'm to videotape it. I'm going to look good. And so I threw myself into a yoga practice. And I did 60 hot yoga classes in 80 days ate well, and <laughs> didn't lose any weight at all. And then uh, Morgan, my, my partner, my wife, my, my love, who uh, knows a lot about the psycho psychological aspect of body-based healing, diseases, communication, all, you know, this whole other level, just said, okay, let's try it my way now. And so two things I did was, one, was go into the internal reasons I was holding the weight. And a lot of it had to do with my father because my father is overweight and there's been some psychological connection, a way to show love through the weight. 
So in a process, a guided process she took me through, I unhooked that part. Then I did a cleanse called Purium, P-U-R-I-U-M, which was an amazing cleanse. And I was on the cleanse uh, about 30 out of 45 days, and I lost 25 pounds, and it just kind of melted off me. So I think it was a combination of the mental work, the block inside of me, the physical work, and I lost 25 pounds. And I have not been on the cleanse for about two weeks, three weeks, and eating much more liberally, and I haven't gained any weight. So it definitely is a psychological reason I held the weight. Yeah. What's your biggest challenge going on right now, Robert? Um, this is going to sound awful, but my biz- my biggest challenge now is I've got when you want clients and you get clients, then you have to you have to serve them, and so I've gotten to a point where I'm at my capacity of clients, and they're happily wanting to spend a lot of time with me. So it's a bit of an overscheduled moment. That's one. I've hired people to help me, which was a big step for me too. So not a full-time assistant, but I have an assistant. I have someone helping with my social media, kind of a coordinator. I have a woman helping me book podcasts. And so I've actually started to uh, leverage my time. So it's really optimized. The challenge is I also want to write this book, Unhidden. And I've done a lot of prep work, and it's actually well set up. But just sitting down for two hours to kick out a 1,000 or 2,000 words has gotten challenging with my overloaded schedule. So learning how to really set um, specific times to write to get this book out is my biggest challenge at the moment. Mm. Yeah, and I, I certainly relate to that in, in you know, publishing a couple of books last year. Um, what's your hope, really, for the book? Can you tell us a little bit about it? What's, what is it about, and um, what are you hoping that, that, that people will get from that? Um, realistically, I'd like men to wake the fuck up. That's the main thing. Um, I'd like women to understand men. I'd like there to be more connection between the genders, the many, many genders that are out there. The book is called Unhidden, a book for men and those confused by them. I've been researching books for men out there, and there are several, several really great books out there. But none of them cover it the way I want to cover it. The books tend to be kind of fluffy, Us Magazine kind of stories that are great for reading on the toilet or while you're on the metro, you know, which are valuable. I don't want to minimize that, even though I sound kind of judgmental, because I am. But, you know, it's sort of like that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is sort of a scientific research-based, these are the reasons of the causes and symptoms. I'm reading one great book about that now. And I want a book right in the middle. I want a book that gives the human, vulnerable, real side the scientific basis of why things are happening the way they're happening, but then a pragmatic, smart, easy-to-implement, challenging-to-change kind of way so men will really see that they're heading in the wrong direction. The society is changing vastly, and women are caught on to the changes that are happening 
in riding that wave, but men aren't. And I'm, I'm just, it's like nails on the chalkboard. I'm just so annoyed by watching people miss each other due to lack of training, lack of, lack of education, their obsession with their phones, and men not stepping up to the plate because it's really an epidemic that's out there right now. So then, and there was that, that line that I mentioned in that post where you said, you know, having love and relationship um, as your top priority for the first time in your life has, has led to the most incredible life. So can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah. So my, my father was a workaholic, tried and true. He's overtly stated that there were many years where him going to work was more pleasurable than spending time with his family. And so I grew up with a brilliant, powerful, manifesting man who built uh, an accounting firm in the 70s and 80s from you know 10 people to 70 people, made millions, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm, I'm of, that, of that ilk. That's you know, who I'm made of. And my mom, on the other side, is very empathetic, uh, very caring, very family-orientated. And so I'm a marriage of the two. But I was more comfortable in the work than I was in relationship. So my entire life until really 2017, I made work and purpose my top priority. At one taste, purpose dominated relationship. It's like, okay, you're moving to London tomorrow. Don't care about your relationships. You're on your road. You know, like that was the vibe. We were sort of like SEALs, Navy SEALs. We would just jump on a plane and go where we needed to go. And so I met this woman, Morgan, you know, three years ago. And I just learned how good it feels to be in her presence. And then she's brilliant. And so we just started talking and talking and talking. And I made this flip. I was like, huh. Why don't you just try? Why, why don't you just do an experiment? Why not, you know, what the hell? What do you have to lose? And just experiment with the thought of why don't you make her first? The relationship with her and our, step, my, our kids, her children, you know, our, my stepkids. Why don't we just make it first? And what happened was my hours per week shrunk. My efficiency increased. My revenue, you know, probably double in 2018. And everything just got tighter, and I just felt better physically, emotionally, and energetically. And so I now have a new nuclear power plant inside of me. It's called love, and it just has me flow and expand. And so it's been a pretty amazing difference putting love and relationship at the top. Beautiful. Thank you. And that you know, certainly matches my own experience i would say and and the experience that i find of my clients when we have them make indeed love and and relationships out of love the centerpiece of their life so thank you mm -hmm. thank you for that how would you describe yourself as a coach um i coach under the concept of tough love t-u-f-f -F, love Tough love, the definition for me, is the truth you don't necessarily want to say, the truth you don't necessarily want to hear. It burns once it comes out of your mouth or once it enters into your system. But then there's relief and openness and expansion inside of it. I believe that we're taught to be mediocre communicators. We're taught to be liars. 
we're taught to withhold the truth for the other person's ego. And in that, there's facade relating to facade. And then every once in a while, you have an experience of a great teacher or a coach, you know, a high school coach that just like, like you're a whiny, you know, why you're whiny or whatever, it wakes you up and it changes your life forever. That's the kind of coach I aspire to be. So coaching with me often is not fun. It's not easy. I push people to uncomfortable places with a lot of attention. But in the uncomfortable, that's where the growth is. I'm not here to sugarcoat my clients. I'm here to say the things that need to be said so they wake up, they stop their own self-limiting beliefs, they actually have what they want, and even if they go for something they want and fail epically, it's better than just sitting on the fence saying, I can't do this. That's the kind of coach I am. Mm, and I can see how that matches your own personal experience that you've sort of described and you've described very well in this conversation up to this point. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. So clearly your partner, your wife, Morgan's had a massive impact on you, um, mm -hmm. you know, professionally and personally, um, who or what else has, has influenced you? I just throwing myself in really uncomfortable situations. Um, we started one taste with a paper napkin sketch and an idea. I sold a house in San Francisco and financed it and dedicated myself to it. There was no way I was going to fail. And we didn't make money for eight years. We were unprofitable for eight long years. And then we finally got the right connections. And then, it's, you know, in 2015, it was an international eight-figure business. So it's dedication. Uh, what's influenced me is saying I'm going to try this. Even L.A. Mother, the second business in Hollywood I talked about, which was an epic failure, has been an incredible teacher. So the thing that's impacted me is my willingness to look at every action, the big, popular, beautiful successes, the ugly, moldy, disgusting, smelly failures, and pull from them the lessons of what I wanted to learn in each of them. That's the first thing. The second thing is uh, I read a lot, and I think as a coach, I think it's a really important thing is to, to read great books on many different topics, uh, especially what you're interested in. Um, I'm very interested in men's work, so I've read probably 20 to 25 men's books. Not entirely, not the whole book, but you know, pulling from them different nuggets that's really influenced me. Uh, reading Simon Sinek, Start With Why?, was a huge impact on me. Uh, reading uh, Philip Zabato, I think is the way to describe it, a book called Man Interrupted recently, has really in, uh, influenced me. No More Mr. Nice Guy, uh, Dr. Robert Glover, kicked my ass. Um, so that's a really big piece. The second thing was, or the third thing, excuse me, was really trying new things. My podcast, I started in October 2015, just because I was so sick of running workshops. It, I was so tired of the enrollment process, but I still had something to say. So I'm like, all right, I got a microphone, I got a computer, I know how to do this, and just started my podcast. And my podcast continues to show me new things, you know, guests coming on the show and 
learning to push myself and having to talk once a week live for 20 minutes every week pushes me to read and think in concepts. So my main thing is, is I've just dedicated myself to my expansion and not resting on my laurels. And if you want to expand, you've got to push yourself in uncomfortable situations to have the life the way you want it. And I'm wondering, um, you put yourself, I guess, in a position of real clarity on what you wanted to do, particularly financially for the year of 2017. Yep. Um, but I wonder, what do you do when you do feel lost, upset, or confused? The first thing that? is, well, the first thing is don't beat yourself up for lo being lost, confused, and upset. That's what most people do. Like, oh, I found all the yoga pose. I'm going to lay on the floor and cry and moan. I found all the yoga pose. No, no. You jump up and be like, I was in the yoga pose. You know, there's some yoga poses that, you know, your, your leg is this one direction and you're on your tip of your toes and it's pretty awkward. And I'm the kind of guy that just like, I'd rather be in the yoga pose and fall out of it than not be in the yoga pose. So if you feel lost and confused, just be like, woo, I feel lost and confused. Celebrate. You're lost and confused. I'm not kidding. It's like what we do is really lost and confused, and then we get upset, and we have a value judgment on our being lost and confused, and then we have a value judgment on top of our value judgments, and then an hour, a day, a month will go by. We're sitting in the misery of feeling lost and confused. So the first thing is like, oh, I'm lost and confused. What is this trying to teach me? Okay, what am I avoiding? What am I not willing to see? Those are the questions to ask yourself. Then get a team. Find a support system to help you investigate these thoughts if you can't do it. Hire a coach. Get a therapist. Join a men's group or gender group. Um, join a 12-step program. Find like-minded people online. There's no excuses anymore. You can search what you're interested in, and there must be 10,000 Facebook for every fetish or thought that exists, right? So get on there and start interacting. Get out of your own head and build a support system to get out of your solo, I can do this by myself as a way to avoid, and get in connection. My therapist, who I've been seeing for over three years, epic changes from his value judgments. EMDR, hitting pillows with tennis rackets, like the things he's put me through. Build a support system so you don't have to do this by yourself. Okay, that's the second thing. The third thing is, is find a way to be accountable. So my favorite story was I decided to do these uh, 80 yoga classes to get in shape for the conference. And so I started writing about it. I built a Google sheet to track it. I discussed it. I made myself transparent on Facebook. And now people are like, hey, how are you doing on your yoga challenge? Like, ah, it's hard, but I'm doing it. You know, I'm a little <laughs> behind it. The point is, is like find a way for you to be seen. The main thing I'm saying is get out of your own way to have connection. And then in that, there's motion. You know, I'm blessed to have a partner who understands me, who's willing to say, like, I think you're heading in the wrong direction. A lot of times I don't like it but I'm grateful she said that. Like, she was the one that says you should write a book. She's the one that says you got to up-level your podcast. Like, she's my, my best friend, my best critic, and my best motivator. 
to become a better and better man. And I'm blessed to have that. But if you don't have a partner, find a friend. You know, get an accountability partner. Like there's there's no reason you can't find someone else to help you on your journey. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much for that. Now, I said just have two more questions because uh, yeah. time has flown by. It's absolutely fascinating talking with you. Um, Thank you. Before we started recording, we made like some reference, um, really about the coaching profession as a as a whole, and I, you know, shared with you how this this podcast came about. So I'm wondering if you had a group of coaches who who perhaps in their first couple of years in a room, and you just had a thirty second message to give them, what might that message be? The first thing is is know that this is hard. I think that's the biggest thing. It's like this is a really rough road you're taking. Being an entrepreneur, being a solopreneur, and I coach them, it's a very difficult road to take. Not everyone is designed to be a solopreneur. It's just not. It's Sometimes you need to work for someone else or with someone else for you to be successful. But don't beat yourself up out of you not being an idea of who you think you should be. Really find out who you are. So it might mean a year of epic frustration as a solo coach. I'm not saying don't do it. But don't try to be someone you're not. Because if you do that, it's just a road of misery. The second quick thing I would say is um, be a beginner. Don't try to be an expert. Don't try to charge the rates of what you see your colleagues be doing. Don't try to fake it. Start off at 50 bucks an hour as a new coach. Be honest. Coach, you know, anyone. Just get your time on the mat because that's where you learn to be a coach. You know, your coaching certification did not teach you how to be a coach. Your clients are going to teach you how to be a coach and be willing to get molded and changed by them thank you for that and then and then finally then for you for you personally what is the purpose of of your work of your coaching i learned a long time ago that i'm happiest when i'm impacting others so i have a life mission where i just know i have to take what's inside of me out and impact. This is not a uh, selfless thing. This is a selfish thing. I work because when I don't work, I go a little nuts. So for me, it's just willingness to do what I do, to be who I am, because my best self is when I'm committed to others. Thank you so much. It's been an absolutely fantastic conversation to have with you, Rob. I'm um, so happy I've got to know you a little bit, a little bit more from this from this conversation. I feel like uh, we could have dived into any of these areas and and, and talked, you know, for an hour and in, in any of them. So thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Wow, so many gems in this, so many pieces I could have used as the opening clip of the episode. Right at the beginning, Robert reminded me, how many people have we heard say something like, 
This is not the direction I expected my life to take. And of course, things rarely do turn out how we imagine, but mostly they do turn out okay. I think Robert's story is inspiring, actually. He was determined, he planned, he did what was necessary, including a lot of work on himself to create the life he wanted. He built that one-year forecast for 2017, how he was going to manage his finances with a goal to be debt-free. He created a financial map and he said he set himself up to succeed by playing a game that he thought was bigger than he could play. I love that. He did a lot of deep internal work, including what he described as mystic therapy and moving away from doing it all by himself to finding the parts inside where he had his foot on the break. And of course, the piece I used as the opening clip, he said yes to what he wanted before his outer world started to reflect that. That saying yes is interesting to me. We often get caught up in the exploration of beliefs and wrapped up in not knowing how, but we can still say yes. We can still say yes to life, to love, to relationships. I also like how he's doing his own thing with fees and packages. There are no rules. It's all made up. So much in here for coaches, and I'm so grateful um, to Robert for sharing in detail his journey about his clients, about his business growth, about his own growth. I love that line he said towards the end. He said, I'm open to opportunity. I'm willing to get off my ass, out of bed, out of my comfort zone to create possibilities. He has a book coming out, which he mentioned, called Unhidden, so do keep an eye out for that. I hope you got something from this conversation and enjoyed it. I certainly did. Another little request and reminder, if you're enjoying these, please do pop on over to iTunes and leave a review. It takes less than a minute, but it has a huge impact on helping others find this podcast. Thank you once again for listening. Until next time, I wish you much love and joy.